Maybe, while we're, while we're waiting, show a bit of Q&A before we start. How many of you were at the uh, concert? <laughs> hey. Wow, only a few of you. I hope the rest of you are going tonight. Because that concert was amazing. I know that uh, in my life anyway, that sometimes people said, how can you spread these amazing teachings more wide? Because they are amazing teachings. Even just talking recently about one of the biggest problems people have these days is living together, husbands and wives. And tomorrow I have to go off to Thailand to give more talks. And the reason I'm going to Thailand again, the same group where I'm going, it's uh, some disciples who work at the Australian Embassy in Bangkok. And the first time I went to see them and they arranged talks, I said, why did you invite me? And they said, because they got a copy of that book, Opening the Door of Your Heart, in the embassy somehow. And there were four couples. I think two of them had already been separated and the other couples were you know, really thinking about it. The marriage was on the rocks. And they read that book and they all came together again. It saved their marriages. And when I gave the talk, three of the couples were sitting there in the front row to say thank you. Because it saved their family. Now things like that, you see that these teachings of Buddhism are incredibly powerful. The trouble is they're like these amazing gems, but they're wrapped in so many layers of tradition know foreign languages that sometimes we just can't get to them but when actually you express those in a modern way they're incredibly powerful so much so that that's why it's wonderful to have this concert so we can take these amazing teachings of how to live together how to forgive for goodness sake you've got to live together how many people here are perfect <laughs> <laughs> So because no one is perfect, that's why we should forgive each other because don't you want to be forgiven and understood? Because sometimes what we do may be wrong. I, I'm not starting to talk, this is a bit of uh, introduction to the people from KL camp. But <laughs> it might be actually all day. <laughs> <laughs> but we shouldn't blame anyone because we want to find out the reason. They may, the bus may have... Um, broken down they may have got lost I just told this uh, this morning to somebody that uh, one of my close friends we were school teachers no he was we were at school together and he told me that uh, after he graduated I went off to become a monk and he became a school teacher but he wanted to do something really important so he chose one of the roughest schools in London in Wandsworth and he said one morning when his class came into school, one of the children spat on the floor in front of him. He said, clean that up. And then the, the student said the F word. <laughs> this is a rough school, you know, in Wandsworth, in South London. So he had to go sent straight to the principal. And the principal came back about an hour later and said the reason why he did that was last night his father beat his mother and his mother had to sort of leave the home and the whole family was split up and this boy, he's only about 11 years old was devastated by what he saw and the fact that the 
He didn't like his father, but the mother, who he loved dearly, was beaten so badly by his dad. It's inex in a sense, it's inexcusable to spit and say the F word to your teacher. But you can understand maybe why he said that. And sometimes we can only understand why people do these things. It makes it much easier to forgive. Not to excuse, but to forgive is to understand. And say, so you shouldn't have done that, but maybe because we understand why you did that, maybe we can find some solution. And not just punishment, which doesn't really address the problems, but some understanding of how we can actually move forward from there and solve the problems. It's the same husbands and wives. You know, that sometimes that people in Perth come up to me and, you know, I know both of them. It's the woman, the wife, she's a wonderful lady. The husband's a great guy. And their children love them, but love them both. But they can't love each other. <laughs> what do the children see in mummy? What do the children see in daddy that they love them? And why can't we take that and spread that to one another as husband and wife? So sometimes, every now and again, you can just get the right message and get these people to live together with more peace and harmony. And to see something in the other person which they respect and love. You know what happens in a relationship? Sometimes we don't see what we like in the other person. We see all their mistakes. The two bad bricks in the wall. You all know that story. And sometimes we see our husband, we see his two bad bricks. We don't see anything else. You see the wife, her two bad bricks. One of them is their mouth. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and then because we want to destroy the wall. Now, what we actually can really do, we can actually see something much deeper. When we see things which are deeper, see the reason behind all this, it's amazing. Once you see the cause, then you can actually solve the problem. It's all finding the cause. So this is actually how they can use these amazing teachings of the Buddha to solve not just small problems but the big problems of life. So you can go home and live happily together. And it costs a lot of money to get divorced. It's much better giving that money to the Buddhist fellowship to stay <laughs> together. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's just uh, some of the things which inspire me. And what the concert has done is actually take the teachings, basically just what I've said right now, and package it with songs and with acting and with a lot of passion. It's not just compassion, it's just a passion for doing something really good and noble. Package that all together and you have this wonderful product which inspires people, but not just inspiration. Through inspiration, inspiration has the means to open up the heart and once you have it inspired to open up the heart, then the message gets in and it stays in. Because you know one of the problems is people can go to a temple and they can hear a great talk and they think, wow, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And by the time they get out to the ECP, it's already gone. They've forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have inspiration, that message goes in and it stays in. And you remember it. And it does literally change the way you live your life. Not so much changing the way you think about life, but change the way you live it. In other words, the, the actions. And that creates so much peace and harmony. And it creates so much... Uh, it gets rid of all the problems we have in life. Or at least many of them. So you can live happily, peacefully, without too many of these 
problems which plague our modern society which basically shouldn't be there it's just because we're dysfunctional in a way we react to each other so we get that together, get that right we can have a much more prosperous, happier, healthier life and so much so I think I was <coughs> saying that so some uh, last year having gone off to England in April to teach at this conference for business leaders and I was invited back again to go to England in October I couldn't accept because I was too busy that's, and that's my bad karma you know I must have been very very lazy monk in my last life because this time I have to work like two monks <laughs> so I was invited back to actually to give uh, a master class at the National Health Service Conference I actually should tell us to call Mr Corbyn one this evening because I was supposed to teach the National Health Service in England and Britain how to get their act together so what is like in Britain the National Health Service this big organisation looking after the health care of the whole nation why did they invite a Buddhist monk to teach them how to run their organisation it shows you just how much these teachings are valued and how they are penetrating into all these very important levels of society so that we can have a healthier, more successful and more productive sort of society in every country. So it's great to be able to do that. So I've ad-libbed already, I still haven't come, they're on the way. Yeah, that's even better. Okay, so we're going to be meditating now and this is going to be a magic meditation because we're going to make something appear. You close your eyes and when you open your eyes all these people from KO will magically appear. <laughs> you want to see a psychic power, here we go. Okay, tell me the meditation. Okay, uh, has everyone meditated here before or not? Maybe not. Okay, well, I'm going to do that, the sweeping meditation, which is a really nice meditation to get people who have never meditated before. It's going to be completely led by me. So you don't have to do a thing. So you're sitting down, cross-legged. Close your eyes. And just settle yourself into the meditation posture. Just make peace with everything which happens. The young kid cries. It's wonderful. You know, that's what kids do. <laughs> they have to understand and accept. Now, as you're sitting there, can you feel your toes now? Are there any sensations there? If you can't connect with your toes, just wiggle them slightly. So you can pick up a feeling in your toes. And when you've picked up that feeling, when you have that connection between your mind and your toes, you can feel a sensation there, then send compassion and kindness along that connection. You're just warming and easing your toes with kindness until you start to feel the sensations become feelings of relaxation. You're deliberately relaxing your toes until you feel a soft tingling sensation 
to know your toes are in the maximum possible relaxed state. Then move your attention to your feet, the uppers, the soles and all that's in between. Can you notice any feelings or sensations in your feet? Could be warm, pressure, tingling, itching or whatever. Any sensation will do. That connects you to your feet. And then send kindness there. Send compassion. Wishing your feet to be comfortable. You feel your feet relaxing, just like when you lay down in bed at night. The tension in the body eases as you sink into the soft mattress. Just imagine your feet sinking into the softest of pillows, relaxing, easing, coming to a state of comfort. Picking up the feeling and through compassion softening the feeling. And then move the attention to your lower legs. Not just the back muscles, the calves, but also the bones and the skin. Can you pick up a sensation in your lower legs? Whatever sensation it is, is enough to begin with. And from there, send kindness. May my lower legs be at peace. Be in comfort. And your mindfulness should start becoming strong enough to notice the sensations change slightly, to become more comfortable, more at ease. Is you're deliberately relaxing each part of the body one by one. And when your lower legs are relaxed, go to your knees. Many people these days have problems in their knees. Can you notice any sensation at all in the area around your knees? If you can't feel one, imagine one. And then when you have connected with your knees, send kindness there. May my knees be at peace. May they relax. And soon you get a feeling of relaxation. When any tightness is eased. And then you go to your thighs. Can you notice sensation in your thighs, including your bottom? The bottom feeling is hard to relax because it's pressed against the floor or the cushion or the chair. Nevertheless, you can pick up a feeling there. Send kindness. Send kindness to those sensations until you feel they relax a bit more. Relaxing the muscles and the bones and the skin in your thighs and bottom. 
Can you feel the sensations there? Be kind to them until all that part of your body feels at ease. You're relaxing to the max. Feel it all get so soft and comfortable. And then move your attention to your waist. And in your waist, it's not just the outside, it's the inside with your colon. Many people have digestive problems these days from tension. Just imagine that whole part of your body, the waist inside, the lower backbones. Can you notice sensations there? Deliberately send kindness, compassion. And feel those sensations relax until they become so peaceful, so comfortable. Even your colon, the digestive tract, imagine that just relaxing. It's not that hard when you pick up a sensation to relax it. You have feedback. You find what it takes by an intention of the mind to bring more peace, softness, ease to that part of the body. And that feedback teaches you how to relax. You deliberately relax the muscles in your colon and around your waist and even the bones in that part of the backbone. Now you sweep the attention further up your torso. You can get to the intestines, the higher part of the digestive tract. Or it may be your kidneys, your liver. If you have any problem in that area, imagine the sensation. Pick up a feeling there. That means you have made contact. And when you've made contact with a part of the body in that area, send kindness there. If you have, say, kidney problem, feel any sensation in that area of the body. Connect. And with kindness, bring ease and comfort. So if everything expands and gets soft and easy, The combination of mindfulness and compassion is extremely powerful. You move the feelings up the body. Move them up to your chest area. Some people have problems with their heart, with their lungs, or with women, with their breasts, with cancers. Can you notice any sensation in that part of the body? Pick up any sensation that connects your mindfulness to that area of the body and just add kindness to relax, to ease, to soothe. You imagine that hard place in your breast expanding, 
easing, softening, dissolving through kindness. You can experience a feeling getting softer, more relaxed as the tension drains away. Even in your heart or your lungs, tension, tightness, draining. As you pick up the sensations there and through compassion relax. You can go up to your shoulders now. Can you pick up a sensation in the area of your shoulders? Notice that sensation. Be aware of it. Connect and add compassion to relax those shoulders. Bring them ease and peace. As if again they were sinking into the softest of cushions. <sighs> Until they feel so relaxed. Now, is there any feelings and sensations in your arms or your hands? Just imagine both arms. Notice the sensations there and be kind to them so that they too relax and you feel this experience of relaxation between your whole body down from the shoulders, the arms the torso, the bottom and the legs as you deliberately relaxed every part now you go to your head start with the muscles in the face can you notice any sensations there? Once you've contacted those sensations with your mindfulness, along that line of communication, send your kindness. So you feel the muscles in your face relaxing, the tightness dissolving. You feel every muscle in the face relax, relax, relax. You feel it tingle, tingle with comfort and ease, the tingle of peace. Now you move your attention to a few inches behind your face your brain. It's hard to pick up real sensations from the brain, but just imagine them with all of your anxieties and fears and memories and even difficulties right now. Imagine that brain as being tired. Connect with your brain and send kindness. It's as if that grey matter behind your eyes is now getting your TLC, your tender loving kindness. As you relax your brain, bring it to a state of ease and comfort. Through this little sweeping method, You've relaxed your whole body. At the same time, 
you've been mindful and kind you're in the present moment and you're probably not thinking very much this is what we mean by meditation how do you feel now? what's it like inside? this is what we mean by meditation the beautiful peace of a kind calm body and mind Okay, so you can come out of your meditation now see it's easy to meditate isn't it yeah and that'll probably feel so nice afterwards that's my secret weapon Every time I have to work really hard, I just go meditate. You get all your energy. See, they've appeared <laughs> in the upper realm. Okay. Do you want to be squeezed in up the top here? The KL people? Okay, yeah. Shall we? Can we get 42 people in here? Yeah, come on. Yeah, come. People up in the KO group, please come down to the to the mid to the middle way level. <laughs> so the people in KO, and can anyone come closer? Come closer. Come in, people from KO. You are special guests. Please. Don't be so proud to be up in the higher realms. Please come down <laughs> to the middle, the middle land. Yes, lots of space over here. Lots of space here. You can come a bit closer. Come, Jerry. Come closer. Come, 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 come closer. You can come closer. Come on. Yeah. So the KL mob, as we say in Australia. <laughs> Then we can come inside. Of course it works. Look, someone has got doubt. They said, oh, your magic power works. Actually, it's very easy magic power because I knew they were coming. <laughs> yeah, here they come. That type of meditation is very effective just for a short meditation. Especially that when you know you just you're very very busy and very very um, <laughs> okay there we go There's only three of you where's the other thirty nine there we go very good. Okay, do you want to make an announcement? Okay. So, as they enter, so they enter. <laughs> now, one of the nice things about being a Buddhist monk who travels to many places, you see, just you have friends and relations in every place. So, it's like, I always say, like, being a monk is like having the best, like the platinum, platinum, diner's card 
Sorry? American Express. American Express, okay. Because I can go to any place in the world and I can go to any temple and get free board and lodgings and a good meal. <laughs> it's a great club to belong to. <laughs> Although it's actually not free, I always have to work for it. Yeah, I think right, the strike is going. Okay. Okay, so welcome everybody. And the talk this afternoon, or morning? Morning, morning okay. Jet lag, because you know, I travel around so much. I don't know what's afternoon, evening, or morning time. Is, what is the talk anyway? A karma. <laughs> Creating good karma. You know that sometimes, when you come to places like Singapore, people always say, what do you say to you know, your Christian friends who said, what do Buddhists say, who created the world? Do people ask you that question? What do you answer? You say, you created your world. I create my world. We all create our own worlds. And that's something which everyone can know as truth. The other things, people just have belief. And some beliefs are more incredible than others. Now I'm a scientist, so as far as I'm concerned, Big Bang happened about 13.5 billion years ago. And that's evidence-based. But even so, we don't even want to argue about those things. We want to go closer and deeper into something which is useful rather than just arguments. And when you say, yes, you created the world, I create my world, we all create our own worlds, then what that means is we have to take responsibility for the worlds which we create. And once we start uh, taking responsibility for the worlds we create, that means that we are more responsible, we are more in charge, and we can actually do things then, rather than just praying to a God, or praying to Amitabha, or praying to someone or other, to please come and sort it out for me. I've often noticed that when we pray for someone else to help us, we are wasting time, we should be doing something ourselves. There are many stories about that. For example, many years ago, I think she was from Singapore. A Singapore girl was studying at university in Perth. And you always see the Buddhist girls and boys who are students. They always come to the temple the week before exams. (laughs) (laughs) Only time you see them. (laughs) So this girl came along and asked us to do some special blessings for her because she was worried about her exams. And that's the only time we saw her. But we saw her friends afterwards. And it's her friends who told me, she's going around Perth saying the monks in my temple are no good. (laughs) You know why? Because she failed. And of course she blamed us. It's not the mug's fault. It was her fault because she hadn't done her homework, she had not done her revision, she had spent all her time while away from home going to parties, going out with boys, and she didn't do her work. That's why she failed. But she thought, who cares, all I need to do is find a good monk, pray, 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 (laughs) and that will work. (laughs) Now that is the opposite of what Buddhism is teaching. Buddhism is teaching to take responsibility. You create your world. You create karma. 
And once you know that you create it, you know you have 100% freedom to create a good world for yourself or a bad world. And in fact, you have so much freedom when you understand the law of karma, whatever you have to deal with in life, you can make something wonderful out of it. Now, those of you who went to the conference, uh, the concert, you know all the dung stories which I tell there. But the other story which I tell, again, from the book, and I can't better this simile, is the story of the two women making a cake. Actually, I shouldn't really use cake in uh, Singapore. Is it quay? Quay. Making quay. What is quay anyway? <laughs> okay. Steam cake. Okay. <laughs> Two women making quay. Now the first woman... Actually, what, what's, what's in quay anyway? Flour, sugar, flour, sugar salt. Same stuff. Same stuff. Okay, easy. So the first woman has got terrible ingredients. Now her flour is very old white flour from genetically modified crops. <laughs> Lots of pesticides in it. And it's so old, you know, because of the humidity, it's getting mouldy, got green bits in it. So she has to take out the green bits and keep the nice bits. And she's got white sugar, which is supposed to be bad for you. What else do you put in it? Oil? Coconut. She's got the old coconut which is you know, going a bit smelly. And her kitchen, her kitchen is you know, before the war. That's the, the First World War, not the Second World War. <laughs> She's got the worst possible ingredients. And the second woman has got the best possible ingredients. She's got this organically grown whole wheat flour from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you don't grow flour in Singapore, do you? And she's got beautiful fresh coconuts, you know, from the garden of Poen Shur Temple. It's a holy coconut. <laughs> and she's got, what, does she have sugar in as well? Yeah, not sugar, honey. Beautiful, organically grown honey from bees who go and, and, and hang around the temple on a Sunday. <laughs> holy honey. And they got the best possible kitchen, you know, from uh, an organization which supports the Buddhist fellowship. The best possible kitchen you can get. So, <laughs> woman number two has got the best possible ingredients. Now, the main part of the story is who bakes or makes the best quay? Is it always the person with the best ingredients and the best kitchen? How many times have you got the best noodles from the hawkers? You know, from people who've got the worst ingredients, got simple stuff, but they put so much care, energy, love and skill into what they're doing. They make the most delicious quay. This is what happens in real life. Some people, they're not wealthy, they're not talented, they may not be the best at school. But the ingredients they have in life, wow, they put so much love and care and energy into what they have to work with. They make such beautiful lives. It does show us 
that what we have to deal with in life, whether it's poverty, whether it's accidents, whether it's loss, whether it's even deformity or sicknesses like cancer, that's not so important, the ingredients of your life. What's really important is what you make of it. And that example of the two women making quay will tell you that whatever you have as your ingredients for your life, you can create the very best for yourself and for your family and for your friends. You can create a paradise in your life with the worst of ingredients. And that's what the law of karma means. You have 400% freedom to create paradise right now. Even with your cancers, with your MS, with everything which you think is a terrible experience, you can actually do something with it. And that was the great positive teaching of the Buddha that you had people like who were prostitutes, became enlightened saints in the time of the Buddha, street sweepers, hunchbacks, ordinary people, not university graduates. Simple people, they had these teachings and they learned what they have to deal with in life. We can create good karma with anything. Sometimes, uh, no matter how hard we work, sometimes we can't be rich. Even no matter how much we exercise, we still get cancers. No matter what good food we eat, sometimes you know, we still get sick and die. That part of the world is very hard to control. But what we make of it, that we've got full control of. Sometimes you just cannot be rich. Sometimes you can't always be healthy. Sometimes you can't always be successful in life. But you can always be happy. You can always be at peace. You can always be compassionate and kind. That is the opportunity for each one of us to create good karma. And I see through my life, I've been a monk 33 years now, this is my 34th year, and whenever I've seen people creating good karma like this, I've seen the results. And you know, as a monk, it's so inspiring to see people with nothing be so happy, to see people sick and dying laugh, to see people who are in pain smile and tell you a joke how can they do that because they understand about creating good karma we learn about good karma right now and that's why you know, what is good karma people think in Singapore good karma is just going to the temple and putting an ang pao in the box <laughs> it's not putting the ang pao in the box it's why you put it in the box how you put it in the box what you do now in your thinking as you put it into the box why are you doing that you know sometimes if we understand why we're doing these things we're doing it to give a lot of generosity is what we call letting go that's why in Perth in my monastery we don't have donation boxes we have letting go boxes <laughs> But you know that sometimes, sometimes to raise money for these uh, organizations, sometimes I, I tell the story of the spider. You heard the story of the, the spider 
No, this is because sometimes it's like a spider. There was once this very, very depressed spider. You know, it's very hard being a spider. This spider, it is. Ask any spider. <laughs> they won't argue with you. This poor spider, he made his first home. Remember when you go into your first home? He made his first home a beautiful web in the corner of a room here in Singapore. And he just finished. And for a spider, the web is not just his home. That's his restaurant as well. That's where he catches his food. And he just made his, he put so much effort and care and love into making this beautiful web in the corner of somebody's room. And as soon as he was finished, he was tired and hungry, waiting for his first meal. And the maid came up, saw this web and destroyed his house. Imagine that was you, the first house you built, someone destroyed it. But he couldn't argue. He just had to walk away quickly and go into the next house. And he constructed another house there, another web in the corner. And as soon as that was built, that was destroyed as well. Third house, fourth house, by the time he got up to his sixth and seventh house, he was hungry, tired and depressed. It's not fair, thought the spider. Every time, every time I make a new house, someone destroys it. Why? And he got so depressed, he gave up building houses. He was walking along the road, walking along the road in Singapore, <laughs> crying. He was a depressed spider. He was called suicidal spider. <laughs> there he was, thin, because he hadn't eaten, tired and so sad. Why do these things happen to me? And as he was walking along crying and thinking of suicide, thinking of crawling under a, a truck, <laughs> he saw a fat spider. There was this fat jolly spider smiling, laughing, with a huge belly. And the fat spider saw this, this um, suicidal spider and said, What's wrong with you? And the suicidal spider told his story. Oh, life is so difficult for me. Oh, I can never make a house. I can't have any food. As soon as I make a house, the maid destroys it. It's so unfair. And the fat spider looked at him with compassion. He said, oh that's terrible. Why don't you come and live with me instead? And the suicidal spider looked at the fat happy spider and said, well where do you live then? Doesn't the same thing happen to you? And the fat spider said, oh no, not to me. Where I live, no one ever disturbs me. I made my, my web the first time and it's been safe ever since. So where do you live? said the suicidal spider to the fat spider. Oh, I live in the donation box. <laughs> no one ever disturbs me there. <laughs> so before you leave, please disturb the spider in the beer box. I'll do that for good fun. 
<laughs> where we create good karma. <laughs> Creating good karma is also having fun. Sometimes people think that, oh, letting go is just being miserable. I won't have any money to spend for myself. Or if I do service, if I do service for, say, the BF of Poinsur Temple or your other local temple or your uh, old people's home or whatever, if you do service, oh, I get more tired. I won't have enough energy. You know, once, actually, this, this is actually how we used to live as monks in those early days in Thailand. When we ordained as monks, it wasn't easy. We were actually tested. It took usually one or two years before we could be allowed to be a, a full monk in the forest tradition. And when we did get our ordination, we had to make our own robes, starting with white cloth, which we had to cut and sew ourselves, and then dye with natural dye. And we used to use the dye made from the jackfruit tree. And you know that was really hard work. To make a set of robes, it usually used to take a couple of days, working all hours. I was already a monk, I'd been a monk for a couple of years, but there was a group of friends, four of them, they were going to become monks and they had to make their own robes. It took them a day or two to sew them up, the three robes. But the worst part, the hardest part, was making the dye. You had to haul the water from a well. You had to take like a, a branch of a jackfruit tree which had fallen off and chop it up with a machete for small chips and boil them down. You had to make the fire yourself in a big bowl. And when you got the, uh, the sap from that tree, you had to take it out, filter it, and then boil it up again until it was thick enough to become a dye and then you had to dye all your robes maybe three or four times, turning them regularly so they did not streak. It was really hard work. And these monks who were making their robes had already been up for about 36 hours without sleep. And after the evening chanting one night, I went to see them about 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And I saw they'd been sleep deprived for such a long time. They still had another couple of days to go. So I told them, guys, you go and take a rest. I'll look after the dye pot tonight by myself. Just out of compassion. And they were just so thankful because if you haven't slept for 36 hours or 38 hours, you just feel terrible. And so, you know, you come up, the bell went at 3 a.m. You come up at 3 a.m. and then sort of you can take over. So at least you can get four hours of sleep. So they all went off to sleep and I looked after the dye pot by myself all night. Three o'clock the bell went. They came back and I went to the morning chanting and the morning meditation. Now I was surprised. Now that morning, even though I hadn't slept, I had all this energy. I didn't feel tired at all. And it was so strange how much energy I had that I talked to the abbot on the way back from my arms round that morning. I said, why is this? Sometimes I sleep four or five hours at night and in the morning I feel tired. Now I haven't slept at all. And I feel so much energy. I should have known this. You know, I must have been a gundu monk when I was very young. <laughs> I learned that yesterday at the concert. <laughs> and the reason was, he said, because of karma. You just spent all night out of compassion and kindness allowing your fellow monks to take a rest when they really needed it. And because of your service, that's why you get your energy back even much more than you would have had if you'd have slept. And that was so true. And even now, 
you know, as a monk, I do work very hard, and when I do work hard, I get all energy up. You know where the energy of service comes from? It's karma. It's instant energy. I know this so much now, that I realise, I'm not sure about Singapore, but I know certainly in the West, one of the biggest problems in our health service is depression. And you know one of the best antidotes to depression? Service. Community service. Because if you give out to other people, you think that maybe you haven't got the time or the energy to do this? You can find the time if you really want to. I know many people, they haven't got time to go to temple, but if EPL is on the TV, or World Cup soccer, or they can find the time. If your favourite movie is on, or you can always find the time. The point is, if you really find the, the purpose of it, the importance of it, of course you can find the time. So when you do find the time for service, you get more energy back than you gave in. It's a source of energy. Service. It's better than nuclear power. Because <laughs> it's green. <laughs> what we mean here is that once you actually start giving out, you get all this energy back, all this inspiration back. And that's if you have more inspiration than this mental energy from good karma, you don't get depressed. How can you get depressed when you say just serve, say like in the, that concert the BF has been doing? You work your butt off, as they say in Australia. You know, it's working all day and in the evening just singing and rehearsing and doing your very, very, very best. And people do this selflessly. And they go home at night physically exhausted but mentally so bright. How can you ever get depressed when you do things like that? You know, the end of the year, and they say Chinese, the Lunar New Year, or the New Year's, the Western New Year, you think back on what you've done in the year. These are the things that you remember. And these are the things which you think, wow, I was part of this. I don't think I could get depressed these days. Me, I have plenty of time to be depressed. But, I'm sitting in the airports, waiting, waiting for Singapore Airlines to take off. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get depressed because all you need to do is think what have I done today how much have I given how many people have I touched how many people have I served and you get this incredible source of energy and inspiration for those of you who want to know traditional Buddhism they call this Atavada, Dhammavada inspiration in the Dhamma and the consequence of these teachings what the Buddha said, this is classic Buddhism, if you get inspired by the Dhamma and what the Dhamma does to people, how it solves problems, heals cancers, stops depression, makes them healthier, makes them more harmonious, gets married people together again who split up, gets the children on the right path. When you see what it does, that gives you inspiration. That inspiration is this natural source of energy and happiness. It's beautiful to be inspired. And once you're inspired and energized, you've got this happiness, that's what makes it easy to meditate. This is what I remember from traditional Buddhism and why 
you know, I can meditate well. Why I teach other people to meditate well. Why I do crack jokes before meditation retreats. Why I do talk about suicidal spiders. Because <laughs> it, <is, laughs> it makes people happy. And when people are happy, they pay attention. And when you pay attention, it's easy to have mindfulness. When you have mindfulness, it's easy to say, watch your breath. When you can watch your breath, it's easy to get in these incredible, powerful meditation states. And when you get meditation depth, you can get enlightened really easy. It all comes from inspiration and happiness. That's why doing service, creating good karma, is essential to meditation. That's why that when people do service, and they really help and serve others, they've got this incredible source of power inside of them. And all they need to do next is actually acknowledge their goodness and their kindness. And that's one of the hardest parts. To accept praise. And to feel good about oneself. And to know it is wonderful, it is great, it is positive. To not to remember your faults, but to remember your goodness. And to acknowledge other people who say how good you are. About four years ago, I got a medal from this university, a very prestigious medal, the John Curtin Medal for Community Serviceship, Leadership, and something else, I forget what. And this was not a Buddhist prize, this was like a prize from uh, a prestigious university in Western Australia, just given to one person a year, and I got it in 2004 for my leadership qualities and how much I'd worked for the Buddhist community, not even more than the Buddhist community, the bigger community. And when I was given this medal, you know, with the vice chancellor and all these big cheeses, as they say, in attendance, I thought, why are you giving it to me? I'm just doing my job. And in my acceptance speech, I say, well, it's very nice to receive this, but there's other people more deserving this than me. I don't know why you're giving this to me. I was being humble, <laughs> I thought. But then the next year, I attended also, because as a previous medal winner, you get an attendance there. And I thought, well, other people came to see me get the medal. I should go and see other people get the medal. And then the person was this uh, Professor Jofi, who was the head hematologist in Sir Charles Gardner Hospital, one of the main two teaching hospitals in Perth. And the reason he, he told his story, or rather other people told the story, why they thought he deserved this medal, and being the head hematologist, he was one of the people, one of the experts who was dealing with the cancer patients in the hospital. And he noticed one thing, that they had the best medical care, but hardly any compassion. There were just almost raw material coming into this factory, being treated not as people, but as cancer objects and being given professional treatment, but there was something missing. Just the care for these people. So he used his influence to raise money and to find a part of the hospital where they had alternative therapies. Homeopathy, Reiki, massage, the weirdest stuff he didn't mind, he wanted it in his centre. And being a scientist, being a head hematologist, he was putting his reputation on the line. Many of his friends, his uh, fellow doctors, thought he had gone wacky. But he did this 
because it didn't really matter whether massage worked. When you're being massaged, someone is caring for you. You feel their hands on your body, they're being kind. Even Reiki, you can feel that someone is focusing on you and trying to help you. And he realises, I know, that that was an important part of the treatment. Never underestimate the power of kindness. It's huge. And so, he put his reputation on the line, got the money together, opened the centre, and now, in this hospital in Perth, every patient who has cancer can go in there and get a foot massage, reflexology, or some caring treatment for free, and they go out afterwards, after their chemotherapy, feeling cared for. And they find, he's found, he's done his research over the years that the recovery rates are much greater than average. And that's why he got that prize. And I was almost crying when I heard that. Wow, what a great guy. What a wonderful thing he's done. But when he gave his acceptance speech, he said, there are people more important than me who should have got the prize. I don't know why you gave it to me. <laughs> and the bells went off. I thought, as I'm robbed, you know, you are good news still. <laughs> why is it we can't accept praise when it's deserved? I even noticed the president of the Buddhist Fellowship last night when she was praised by Nick Shen, she tried to get the microphone off his hands. <laughs> Except praise, Angie, you deserve it. And everyone else deserves praise. And when we do accept praise from other people, what happens? We get inspired. We've created the good karma already. Now we have to exploit it. And this is what it's there for. So to create a good world for ourselves, yeah, we create good karma, but don't just leave it. Think about it. Reflect upon it. Praise each other for it. Praise yourself for it. Let's have a culture of positiveness. So we remember the goodness, the kindness, the generosity, the wonderful service which we've all given. And when we acknowledge that and praise it and receive that praise, when people praise me for what I've done, you know what that does? It doesn't make me big-headed. It makes me big-hearted. Praise doesn't make you big-headed. It makes you big-hearted. In other words, you want to do it again. You want to sort of work even harder with service. You want to even do more generosity. You want to do more kindness. You want to find other ways of helping society, helping one more person sort of free themselves from suffering. And when you do that, you get even more energy, more praise, more positive reinforcement. You are making an amazing, wonderful society. You are creating a happy world. A world not of blame, not of criticism, not of people putting each other down, but of recognizing the Buddha nature in each one of us. When you recognize that Buddha nature, you praise that Buddha nature. How what bad karma is it to criticize your wife, you criticize your husband, you're criticizing the Buddha in them? Why do you do that? Why do you criticize yourself and think, I'm no good? Is the Buddha no good? If you've got Buddha nature, that's what you're doing. So we look inside of ourselves and see the beauty in it. If that's what you see, that's what you focus on, 
that grows and you're creating this incredible source of happiness and peace and joy which makes more service, more good karma. It's like a snowball effect. Your service, your happiness, your goodness gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know where all that ends? Enlightenment. You get so much happiness, so much energy. If you want to meditate, it's just the easiest thing in the world to do. doesn't matter if you haven't got time. doesn't matter if you're tired. doesn't even matter if you're sick and in pain. It's the easiest thing in the world to do when you can have all this incredible source of energy from the karma, the service, and you know how to make use of it. Even here, I know there's many BF members have tried meditation and it hasn't really clicked yet. The reason is, not you don't know how to do it, not you can't do it. You have all of the good karma. You have heaps of good karma. You've got this huge bank account of good karma. It's just you've forgotten your PIN number. <laughs> <laughs> and that PIN number is... S-E-L-F-P-R-A-I-S-E Self-praise. And you get into doing that, it's also called compassion, it's also called metta, and that means you know how to create good karma. You know how to use the good karma you've created and how to create a wonderful world, a better world, an inspiring world. You start with yourself, then you go into your family, then you go into your state, then you go into your world. That's how it works. We are creating an amazing world. The last story, because I started late, we've got to finish off about 12. The last story, I told this in Thailand last week. I'm going again tomorrow. I don't know, I, people ask me where I live. I live in aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I spend more time in airports than I do in my monastery. And <laughs> they asked me to give a talk. This is on my teacher Ajahn Chah's anniversary. He died on the 16th of January and one year later he was cremated so that every anniversary of his death they have a big meeting in his monastery in northeast of Thailand. So because I was a Chao Kun, because you know, I've got an award from the King of Thailand as well and I don't mind praising myself for that. I deserved it. <laughs> for all the hard work which I've done. And so they made me give a talk in Thai. Mummy Panha, that's Thai. I can still speak Thai, but not very well. But you don't mind, you gave a talk, so I told this simple story, made people laugh. One of my disciples is a man called Dr. Jeff Gallup. He was a former Premier of Western Australia, where we had our 30th anniversary of our Buddhist society in Perth. He was the one who came along to lead the celebrations. He was at the the global conference which we held in Perth, uh, giving the keynote speech and I also got him to give a talk on religion and politics. Because he was the premier, the head politician of the state of Western Australia, like the Arnie Schwarzenegger of Western Australia. <laughs> he had the same sort of power. This huge state, big economy, and you know, being a federal system, the states have a huge amount of responsibility and power. But, just about two years ago, he resigned at the height of his popularity because of depression. He found himself clinically depressed 
and to the surprise of anyone, everyone in front page news throughout Australia, he announced that he was resigning because of depression. And then he came to my monastery. So I taught him some meditation, gave him some cognitive therapy, gave him a copy of Opening the Door of Your Heart, which he quotes all the time. And he's through his depression. That's why that our that Jhana Grove Meditation Retreat Centre, which we're building over in Perth, is just to announce it should be finished by the end of this year, because uh, they're building it right now as I speak. He's our patron for that. But he's a very interesting man, Dr. Jeff Gallup, because he went to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar, and his best friend, his best friend from his college days, is a man called Tony Blair. <laughs> he was Tony and Cherry's best man at their wedding. So he's the best friends with Tony Blair. So I've already got my plan. And it's already beginning to work. Now I've got Dr. Jeff Gallup. I'm sure he's going to get his best friend, Tony Blair, <laughs> to come to my retreat centre and become a Buddhist. And once, once I have Tony Blair, then the next step is George W. Bush. <laughs> then I've changed the whole world. So I had some fun and games, but who knows? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, sometimes that these teachings, that's the sort of level they're starting to, they're filtering into. You know why? Because these teachings work. That fellow Jeff Gallup, he has practiced, seen, got the results. And of course, not something he has to say, I've got to believe this and then maybe when I die I got it right, I got it wrong. Seeing it in this very life. And when you see this powerful teachings work to such an extent, wow, that becomes very inspiring. So positive, so helpful, so true. That's how we create a good world. Creating good karma is not just small stuff. We can even create a world without wars. Who knows? Keep watching this channel for the next installment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Ajahn Brahm, for that wonderful talk. <laughs> Entertaining and inspiring once again. So shall we say Sadhu three times? Sadhu, Sadhu, Okay, we'll have an uh, opportunity for two pressing questions. The first two hands go up, gets the price. Otherwise, we'll one. And one more, that's it. Okay. No more? Okay, one question. Okay. okay, here we go. Can you shout it out? Okay, for the benefit of those who may not be in this room, the question is uh, if there is a discord being um, created in the office, what do you do, in short? Okay, and uh, he was proactive and sort of made life a little bit difficult for him in some way and uh, the guy's mad at him back. Did he make bad karma? First of all, if your intention is good, you're really trying to do the best thing but it doesn't work out the way you expected it, it's still good karma because your intention was pure. 
So it doesn't really matter whether it works or doesn't work in the first place. Because you've got the best intention, you're really trying to do the best. You know, you're not doing that because you want to hurt the fellow, because you want to solve the problem in the office. That is still good karma. But you can make it even better karma by being more skillful. <laughs> because that one didn't work, because, you know, he's getting angry at you, and maybe it doesn't work. So he doesn't know, but he still knows that someone's got it in for him. And the, the skillful thing, it's, it's a long term. But first of all, when you have someone like in the office, get to that problem as early as possible. Because a lot of times in an office, if you're a manager, there's a problem there with a the person and because you don't address it early enough, you think, oh, it'll just go away, I'm too busy to deal with it. When the time it does get so big, it's very difficult to deal with. Sometimes he's in the wrong job. You know, which means it'd be best if he was transferred to another job earlier on. Or he needs some help. In other words, send him to a course to make sure that his skills are improved. You know, even if he's got no social, personal skills. You know, send him to a counsellor or send him even better to the BF. <laughs> There's always very many proactive ways of doing things. And when, what happens is that if you have a person in the office like that, and it's causing a problem, you take them aside with, again, compassion and kindness and say, look, it's not your problem, it's not my problem, it's our problem, it affects everybody in the office. So, you know, with kindness, people are much more likely to acknowledge the problem. Which is why that we call it in psychology the sandwich technique, which means you, you praise him, first of all, four or five times. Now, how much you value him and how much you like him and what a wonderful person he is and you know, how great he is to know and what a wonderful family you, are, you have, but... <laughs> now, this is important. This also works in marriage because if you don't make that connection of kindness with a person by praising and saying, look, I do really do value you. You know, I don't think you're a terrible person, but there's part of you which is causing a problem. And so then we're valuing the person rather than criticising them and think we don't like the whole of them. And when we get that praise there, we get a connection, they listen. And then maybe they hear that problem and say, oh, well, yeah, actually, I acknowledge that that is one of my problems. You might find the source of it. Maybe they may have been trouble at home with their, their partner or their kid may be very sick and they're not sleeping at night. And so when you get a connection by getting a bit of praise going between you and so you value each other, then you can communicate, then you can find out the source of the matter, and then you can actually get some really amazing solutions. So those of you in business, if there is a problem starting in your office, don't wait until it's so big that, you know, that it's going to create a huge amount of problem for you and others, and for them as well. Because if you sack them, you don't just sack them, you sack the whole family. And that, that really hurts when you have to do that. And sometimes we should have dealt with the problem a bit earlier. You know, those, you know what I just taught you now? That's what I taught the uh, managers of Intel and PricewaterhouseCoopers and British Airways in London in April. So how to be proactive, kind, but not just soft. And there's a problem there, you have to deal with it, but deal with it in a beautiful way. So now you're in that situation, you know, it, don't let it fester even more. Find out what's going on. If you can, make friends with that person or find out the person who is their friend and work with them to find out, what's the problem? Are you in the wrong position? Is it too much stress for you, having problems at home, problems with your health? What's going on? And when you really care for them and they know you care for them, that's half the solution. Then they'll open up and you find out amazing solutions.
which you never expected to find. Okay. Thank so you. thank you for that question. Thank you, Arjun Brown.